<laughs> the accusing look you gave me. It was like, was that me or you? <laughs> it was like ventriloquism because I didn't move my mouth or nothing. My throat was just like, <laughs> Ian's talking. Got to make some noise. I'm like, I didn't do it on purpose. Well, 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 happy uh, evening and good Dave to all of you. Did you just say good Dave to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> happy evening and good Dave to everybody. <laughs> all the Daves out there. have You have to be good today. <laughs> yeah, have an especially good Dave yourself. Well, I'm having a pretty good Dave. I'm wearing my brand new <laughs> shirt today. <laughs> oh, you yeah, you bragged to me about your shirt. Now you're going to brag to the whole podcast about your new shirt. Yeah, but they don't get to see it. Yeah, well, he's wearing a Mississippi John Hurt shirt, everybody. What, it's, what? It is pretty, pretty cool. Maybe, uh, maybe someday you all get to see it. This is going to be the shirt I'm wearing when I'm on stage playing metal, too. <laughs> it's a pretty fantastic shirt, though, I got to say. it's uh, It's got the right sort of color balance to it. I think I'd even rock that shirt. Yeah, it washed out pretty well, too. Like, you know how when you first get a shirt, they're kind of like... Stiff. Stiff, and yeah. they sit weird, and then you're not sure if the, the uh, imprint is going to, like, sit right, you know? Yeah. Because sometimes they fold weird and stuff yeah. like that. No, nah, I... It, it had a good wash. Yeah, just as long as it washes out correctly, it's all good. I mean, it, I guess we didn't really uh, invite you all to do check out Ian's t-shirt, but uh, I guess we did. We do have an episode for you today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eventually, after we're done bullshitting about Ian's clothing, we, we do have an episode, I guess. Dude, check out our ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, our subject tonight is a bit of a rambling man. He is. Uh, but he was a bit more articulate than we are. Uh, a fantastic artist and one of the best writers and When he was singers. sober, he was more articulate than us. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not going to make that comparison. Either way, uh, the mystery adjourned. We have Hank Williams Sr. tonight, which is, you know, a... Uh, the best Hank Williams. <laughs> the best... <laughs> take that hank three no offense to hank jr or the third if you happen to be listening to us which is not likely but uh (laughs) we're gonna get smacked in the face someday by hank (laughs) Hank three i heard what you said (laughs) i was a fan of the podcast then you made me cry actually even hank three agrees that his yeah. his grandpa was probably one the best country musician ever. So. Well, and I mean, we're here paying homage to the gentleman for a reason because he's a legendary musician. I've uh, I've just been in love with his music since I was a kid, even though I it's not even near what like I actually listened to. It's yeah. just somehow transcends genres <laughs> to just be so good. Yeah, like I remember when I first got into him because you know my dad's. You know, got the classic rock and roll thing going on. You know, that's what he listens to. Yeah. My dad's like, 
are you listening to country? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, this ain't country. Because I, def- I definitely did not pick up any country from him. <laughs> <laughs> this is not country, Dad. This is Hank Sr. There's a big difference. Yeah, he invented it. Yeah. <laughs> he did it before it was cool, Dad. He made it cool. <laughs> All righty, and well, uh, I'm expecting a fucking birthday today, so lay it on me. Well, Hiram, that's right. His first name's Hiram, not Hank. William. Well, is Hank short for Hiram? I think that's just what everybody called him because they didn't want to call him Hiram. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible first name. Either way, Hiram... <laughs> Well, actually, he's named after Hiram I of Tyre, one of the three founders of the Freemasons, according to Masonic legend. <laughs> okay, that's fucking amazing. I take it back. That's, a, that's an amazing first name. <laughs> so anyway, Hiram Williams was born on September 17th, 1923, near Mount Olive in Butler County, Alabama. Fuck yeah. Why is it? Like, all of these, like, southern places where they're in the middle of nowhere, they're just like, he was born in this county near yep. this town. Yep. <laughs> well, it's because there's, you know, miles and miles and miles between people's houses. So, <laughs> he w- <laughs> somewhere between that mountain and that town is where he was born. Maybe someday we'll get an exact address. He was born in this house, <laughs> in this county of this state. Yeah, chronologically. No, I think that we're a little past that, and those those sort of record keepings were not a thing back then. So he was born somewhere near that place. As we established, probably not the most significant thing people ever thought about in their lives. Definitely yeah. birthdays weren't as celebrated as they are now. Yeah, that's that's for sure. For some reason, like it, so much in this era, you just lose those birthdays. People don't even know what day they were born on and things like that, or they'll they'll not know how many years old they are. Yeah, and I mean, they aged faster back in this day, too. I mean, when you look at Hank Williams, when he was singing, he was in his 20s, and he looked like he was in his late 30s. Well, I mean, a hard life like that will do it to you. (laughs) Just growing up in the 1920s. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that was a hard life, no matter what you did in the 1920s. They still had polio. For all you out, yeah, exactly. For all you out there who, uh, you know, often be like, oh, I want to go back in time and live among the the old people among the old times. You don't. No, you don't. No, you definitely don't. I mean, the more I've done my research, you just don't, guys. You just you want to think about that. You want to go back to your storybook version or whatever you want to go back to. You don't actually want to go back to the real era. Yeah, I mean, even if you were like, you know, the best, most awarded knight ever in history, your life still sucked because you couldn't take a fucking shower. Yeah, you still poop down a <laughs> concrete <laughs> tube down in the yard. <laughs> Okay, we're way off track already. We we promised this episode is about Hank Williams. <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. We're doing an episode. <laughs> and so Hank Williams' father, Alonzo Williams, was a locomotive engineer and Lily Williams, a church organist. And he was the third child born to them. So, you know, not as big of a family. Yeah. And Hank Williams would say, my earliest memory is sitting on the organ stool by her. He's talking about his mom. Yeah. And hollering. I must have been five, six years old and louder than anybody else. (laughs) And so here's the thing. Hank was born with a spinal condition known as 
Spina bifida occulta. Well, I'm sure you murdered that pronunciation, but that's actually, I mean, that I don't know what that is personally, but that sounds pretty fucked up. Spine diseases and shit are not fucking around. So, spina bifida, however the fuck you pronounce it, Thanks for pointing out my reading flaws here, Pat. Oh, come on. That's, that's how we roll <laughs> my, here. My Latin flaws. You go right under the bus on this podcast. You know that. <laughs> you do it to me, you bastard. <laughs> so anyway, it's when a baby's backbone does not fully form during pregnancy. There are like small gaps in the bones of the spine. Oh, uh, that's that sounds terrible. And apparently it's quite common, especially now, really treatable, like, one in ten people have it, but usually there's no health problems. Of course, back then, they didn't really know how to treat anything. Yeah. Like, let me put some leeches on you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. He's got little gaps in his spine. We should probably burn him in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably going to grow evil bat wings. I don't know. You should probably kill him. Fetch me a whooping stick. I'll beat it out of him. <laughs> He's an infant. Nope. <laughs> He's old enough to learn. <laughs> what? Not too old to get a spanking. <laughs> and yet we're still wondering why he looked like an old man at 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you're not too old when you're out your mama. <laughs> I'll whoop him right in the shape. Then I'll make him plow the yard. <laughs> He's an infant. <laughs> Besties start earning some wage around here. <laughs> And so, of course, his was never properly treated, and, you know, he'd suffer from back pain for the rest of his life. Oh, great. And so, Alonzo Williams, Hank's father, was a World War I veteran. Oh, nice. And he either came home with shell shock or severe head injury or both. Yeah. And probably a little bit of mustard gas, like, <laughs> dementia or whatever. He had it on the side. <laughs> I can't laugh at that. I, I, I almost tried, but like it was so half hearted. That's that's so terrible. World War One was hell. I mean war in general is hell. <laughs> right, but, but World mustard War mustard gas so- <laughs> in and of itself, it sounds like the worst thing yeah. ever. Yeah, mustard gas and trench warfare. That just that doesn't sound fun, guys. Rats down below, death up above. <laughs> I found something for you to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to imagine you in World War One for a second. <laughs> At least you don't have to duck down in the trenches. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. I would totally be delivering mail, okay? <laughs> Sorry. And I hear people are, were a lot shorter back then, so I would be closer to normal height. Yeah, you'd probably be legendary. <laughs> legendary World War One hero, Ian. <laughs> And so around the age of six, Hank's mom didn't want his father Alonzo around anymore. Yeah, because he was a World War One vet and was probably a little bit crazy. Yeah, maybe. something like that. And so she sent him off to the veterans hospital and Hank barely ever saw his father for the rest of his life. Oh, dude. <laughs> Dude, people in this era are so brutal. <laughs> no, sorry, You're no use to me. Go. I don't want you around anymore. I'm going to have to send you away. <laughs> Your son will be better off without you. Trust me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how well that worked. Yeah. Yeah, that's so terrible in general, but I don't know. Like the World War One Veterans Hospital also sounds like hell, too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
He never escaped it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's it's. I can <laughs> After only that, nervously, death sounds like heaven. Yeah, I can only nervously laugh at that. That just sounds like the worst thing probably ever. Not probably ever, but you know what I mean. And so, you know, no father, you know, got a spinal condition that, you know, keeps you from sometimes doing things that are active. What do you do? You join the church choir at the age of six and, you know, start making music. Yeah, you become a legendary musician because you don't really need that much back for that. But honestly, though, his mother, Lily, by 1930, you know, is Great Depression era. But she found a way to make a living and take care of her family. She'd first move her family to Garland and then to Georgiana, Alabama, where she successfully ran a series of boarding houses. Oh, shit. You know, taking care of her kids, right? Taking care of business. You know, and she would eventually land what apparently at the time was a coveted job at a cannery in Georgiana, making some more money for him. That's pretty cool. Still not that much, but, you know. It's something. I mean, a coveted job. It is a yeah. coveted job. Well, you know, Hank Williams would also start working. He'd sell peanuts sh- and shine shoes. Hell yeah. Shoe shining. Now, that's how you make a buck, especially when you're, you know, like in this era. Hey, you get beat out of the womb, you start working at six. Come on now. <laughs> shine some shoes, boy. I bet you wore one of those little hats. You're six years old. What you doing with that schooling? Time to get to work. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet you wore one of those little weird, like, uh, like, I don't know, like news delivery boy hats. <laughs> shine your shoes, sir. Want some peanuts? <laughs> yeah. Peanuts on the side while I shine your shoes. Sing you a song. Oh, now I'm just imagining some rich asshole eating the peanuts and throwing them on his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Not clean yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're right there. Yeah, I just I can't continue this line. Uh, please just continue. <laughs> <laughs> I can't laugh at poor kids anymore. Talk, talk about something else. What can I say? I like to punch down. <laughs> it's the only way you can. Uh, I'm good on the short jokes today, Ian. I, I, I've you got. Are. I've I've hit my quota. We, we'll we'll have no more of them, probably. <laughs> As I wink at the audience. <laughs> wink. And another short joke in five, <laughs> four. <laughs> no, man, that's a low blow. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> that one took me a second. Fuck you. <laughs> and when Hank was 10, in the fall of 1933, his mother sent him to live with his aunt and uncle in a lumber camp 50 miles west in Monroe County, Alabama. Dude, his mother is cold-blooded. A lumber camp? Can't feed you anymore. Go with your aunt and uncle. In a lumber camp. Well, I mean, it was here where he would really truly be given his opportunity to explore what became his life's two greatest passions, music and alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lumber camp, so I could see that. Well, music was a big part of life in the lumber camp. And, you know, this was really like his first true exposure of southern country music. I mean, where else would it come from these days, really? But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it it would make sense, like, in a lumber camp, though, because they don't have a lot of external uh, entertainment, so they kind of generate their own with the uh, internal music. Well, it's probably, I would imagine, mixed with a lot of, like, 
the Appalachian style music and blues music. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I I could definitely see that. Actually, it kind of sounds like it would be a cool experience. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to actually work in the logging industry. You, you just want to go to one party. Yeah, I just want to <laughs> hang out while they play some music as they outdrink you. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't even want to try that because I don't think I. It's I don't think it's healthy to drink the liquor they are probably drinking either. <laughs> But, yeah, so at these parties, you know, the adults would hide their booze outside, right? Yeah. You know, hide them as in, let me stick them next to this tree, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to put this bottle out by a tree. No one will ever notice. <laughs> and so, of course, him and his cousin would find the stash and, you know, start drinking till, <laughs> as their cousin says, Got drunk as hoot owls on it. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Do, do owls often get drunk? Apparently. God damn it's owls. Some, it's something you only learn in the South. <laughs> damn drunk owls. Appalachian drunk owls. Appalachian drunk owls. Well, this is Alabama, though. I don't even think uh, the Appalachians are there, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Geography. Geography. Not our finest. Yeah. I don't know, bro. <laughs> the unfortunate part is, Mike, my geography knowledge is pretty good if we're talking about, you know, like, I don't know, ancient Greece or ancient Rome. But then, like, uh, America. You know, like, I know where all, like, I know where all the states are and I can identify <laughs> the states. I could say the state names, but then they're like, oh, you know, like Appalachian Mountains, which go through which states. And I'm like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> You're about to be like, nah, dude, the Rocky Mountains are on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not like that because I know where the Rocky Mountains are. We live close enough to them. I've been there a few times. They're awesome. They are very cool. Uh, I recommend do check out these mountains. Yeah, dude, check out those mountains, <laughs> especially if there's a concert going on over there, like a festival. Oh, oh yeah. man. There's all types of cool I've stuff. seen a couple festivals out in Montana mm -hmm. in the Rocky Mountains. Ooh. Ooh, man, Hoo I was a hoot and hollering good time. <laughs> it was a hoot nanny. Drawing <laughs> back to our uh, previous episodes, <laughs> but yeah, you know, he would also start discovering Jimmy Rogers, the Carter family, the Monroe brothers. You know, fucking country music. Good you know? old Jimmy Rogers. Yep. You know, a little throwback there. And in 1937, Williams would move with his mother and sister to Montgomery. It was like the biggest city Williams had ever lived with. And, you know, it would kind of have some opportunities for a young musician. He kind of start a friendship up with a busker, on the, an African-American busker on the streets named Rufus T. Top Payne. <laughs> Rufus, Rufus T. Payne? No, T. Tot. Oh, T. Tot. <laughs> okay, that's a little cool. I was going to be like, what the fuck? Rufus T. Top Payne. I don't even know what a tea tot is, but... I don't know. I just assume it's like a tater tot. But with teas? Is it tea like... Like, T -E -A? it's like a golf tea. T-E-E. -E. A tea tot. I don't know. That's... Tea Maybe he just like, <laughs> like drinking on teeter totters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. know. I think uh, I think we're a little too far, like generationally, to be able to identify yeah, that's, what that's the fuck that means. Definitely something we don't even know. Yeah, no, that's a. Uh, <laughs> it's probably something fucked up, though, right? I don't know. I I, I sure hope so. I'm not going to even <laughs> spend the time to research sure it because so. <laughs> I'm just going to go on with the assumption that it's something really hilariously terrible. Well, anyway, Williams would say about him, 
I was shining shoes and selling newspapers and following him around to get him to teach me to play guitar. It's pronounced like that in my notes. Guitar? Guitar. I give him 15 cents or whatever I could get a hold of for a lesson. <laughs> nice. And so, yeah, that's kind of why, like, we were talking about when we were listening to his songs, like, you can really hear the rockabilly influence because he definitely had a big blues tinge into everything he did, too. Yeah, no, and he's... <laughs> Like, that's why I said, like, I don't really feel like he's just flat country in any way. I feel like you just consider Hank Williams Sr.'s music as Hank Williams Sr.'s music because he takes influences from so many random places. Uh, another callback is he does a lot of that, like, you know, whistling, singing cowboy stuff all oh, over. Yeah. So he does that mixed with, like, the Appalachian style more... Uh, I don't know, bluegrassy style country, and then he also can still nail those strange blues aspects for no reason, and I don't know. Well, I just gave you the reason. Well, obviously. T-top pain. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, <laughs> a very valid reason, I guess. But either way, that's a, it's only more to my point. I think that his style is so unique, and it's fantastic. Well, and so in his free time, though, he'd begin to perform on the sidewalks outside of Montgomery's radio station, WSFA. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the producers kind of took a shine to him, you know, like eventually they would invite him on air. That's pretty awesome. I mean, that's a smart move. Like if you're going to busk anywhere, like right outside the uh, <laughs> the radio station is a pretty good place if you're trying to get rich. Well, At least yeah. in this era. And he developed a shtick on the air, too. He was the singing kid. Because oh. <laughs> he was still really young, I guess, at this point, wasn't he? Yep. And he'd become a regular, right? Eventually hosting his own show twice a week. And so by the age of 14, he's making 15 bucks a week performing on WSFA. Performing at 15 years old with his own show twice a week already. Yep. That's, yep. that's super cool because he's a badass. And so, you know, even though he was making some money working for the radio station, can't really become a huge country star being a radio DJ, right? Mm, yeah. He decides to form a band. Oh, yeah. And with the money he made at the radio station, he'd link up with another young musician named Smith Adair. Oh. And he'd form a band called the Drifting Cowboys. <laughs> That's a cool band name. The only problem is he's still in school <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right oh yeah you're still a kid and so you know he has to arrange his performance dates around his school schedule and stuff like that and in october of 1939 came up with solution don't need school anymore <laughs> yeah. he dropped out oh yeah that's that's the eventuality for anyone who starts the music industry like super young like that <laughs> especially like, in this era yeah, like, like oh, every single yeah. every single person we've covered in this era were like well, I really want to be a professional musician, so I better drop out of school. Yeah, really early. If I want to be a professional, I have to start, like, you know, now at, like, 12 years old. <laughs> well, they do age fast back then. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, yeah, we already talked about that earlier. You're going to look like an old man by 20 years old anyways. You might as well get going. <laughs> and here's, fu here's something funny. His mother would become the band manager and start booking him gigs and like dance halls and honky tonks, <laughs> and she'd collect all the money they made from the shows. Right? Oh shit! I mean, she was supportive. You know, she worked hard for the band, but she wasn't too popular among some of the members of the band. One of the members, Sammy Pruitt, would say, "None of us dug her too damn much." 
damn <laughs> so the band's like get your mom out of here bro yeah. dude she's cramping our style yeah that's exactly what it is we are trying to run like a honky-tonk band we uh want to have orgies and stuff and your mom's hanging out well and here's the thing the drifting cowboys you know they really did become a popular act but you know hank 16 years old Starts his drinking problem early. <laughs> oh, good, good. That's all. That's start, what we really he, need right hey, now. Hey, get beat out of the womb. Start a job at three. Start a career at twelve, and become an alcoholic at sixteen. I mean, it's the natural order of yeah, life back it, then. That's the only way that you're gonna really achieve that. I look like an old man in my mid twenties. <laughs> well, I mean, booze was freely available at their gigs, you know. And so, you know, he would take full advantage of it. And the band, you know, of course, didn't like it too much. <laughs> yeah, probably, because his performance has probably suffered. So the best name I'll probably mention in this episode, Boots Harris, one of the members. <laughs> Boots. Boots Harris. I'm Boots. <laughs> what? Wear your shoes. Don't need them. <laughs> yeah, they call me Boots. I'm made of boot. My feet are as strong as boots. Well, I, I'm still wondering why your mind goes immediately to somebody who doesn't wear shoes, but I'm not going to question any further. Just just continue with Boots Harris. <laughs> anyway, he'd say about Hank Williams drinking at this time, he was pretty bad into the drink. I'd already quit him once because of the drinking. I said, if you kept drinking, ain't nobody in the business going to pay us no attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a hell of a quote right there. And that's the last we'll hear of Boots Harris. Oh, bye, Boots. Because because Hank Williams would choose boots or booze over boots. <laughs> no, actually, World War Two happened, and everybody in the Drifting Cowboys got drafted except for Hank Williams because he's a kid. <laughs> no, because he has a bad back. Oh, it was a spine thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he received what would be called a four F deferment, which is just basically meaning they're unfit for military service due to like. Physical, mental, or moral reasons. Oh, Jesus. I mean, isn't most people against war, yeah. though? Yeah. Moral reasons? Is that a reason? Because I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't really like killing people. Oh, we can't get drafted anymore. We're too old. Yeah, well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we made it through. Thank God. Woo. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of wars that happened in our 20s, too. <laughs> I know. Thank God we that America wasn't really drafting in that era. Otherwise, we would have been fucked. There was a time I worried. I worried about oh, a couple of them. 9-11. Yeah. I was like, shit, I'm going to be drafted when I graduate. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, uh, I was in that perfect era, too. I was a little worried about it. Thankfully, uh, there was a lot of volunteer service that happened. So <laughs> thank all you people who really wanted to go to the military and made it so that all of us normal people didn't have to. <laughs> and me and Pat could figure out who we are without having to shoot other people yeah I, I, I i'm glad that i didn't have to shoot anybody yet ian i'm looking at you i don't, even, I don't even have a gun all right lead patty <laughs> <laughs> slash you with a razor <laughs> and so most of the young musicians were leaving to fight in the war and any remaining potential replacements refused to work with Hank on account of his drunkenness. <laughs> In general, unreliability. You know, I mean, when you're drinking all the time, hard to be reliable. So suddenly he was a one-man band. <laughs> yep. 
And also, the radio station was fed up with his behavior. And in August of 1942, he was let go. Aw, shit. And yeah, for habitual drunkenness. (laughs) (laughs) Going around the radio station just hammered. I mean, it was probably good at first, but then when he realized they let him do it, he took it too far. Yeah. Well, and when they have to throw in habitual drunkenness, he wasn't fired for being drunk at work. He was fired for being drunk at work too often. (laughs) That right there just says something about this radio station. And this era. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, dude, you're just drunk too often. Like, take two days off and work sober. I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) What's your problem? You can drink afternoon. Like, just God. This is a 30-minute radio show. How do you get drunk so fast? How are you hammered? (laughs) I was drinking before the show. Yeah, Yeah, he's like 12. (laughs) I like how we just keep gradually getting that age lower. He's going to be like three years old drinking whiskey by the time we're done. (laughs) And so, can't get a band, not on the radio anymore. You know what the best thing to do is? What? Quit and... Retire from the music business altogether. Oh, yeah? Uh, So that's what he claimed he would do. (laughs) He would respond to an ad from Kaiser Shipbuilding, a shipyard company in Portland, Oregon, that promised a free one-way ticket, training, free rent, and a steady wage for anyone willing to work. Oh, shit. Portland is definitely the best place you should go, I say sarcastically. Well, I mean, you're probably very shocked to find out that he has a bad back and he was terrible at shipyard work. Yep, gasp, gasp, (laughs) yep. And so, in November 1942, he headed back to Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, basically joined a medicine show. Uh, Yep, he decided to be a musician again, huh? He went and did some hard labor and he's like, oh, oh. (laughs) Okay, I want to play music again. (laughs) Or he went, the pay sucks, but the whiskey is free. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that too. You know, it it really doesn't matter what your priorities are, right? And so it was at one of these medicine shows in Banks, Alabama, in the summer of 1943, that he would meet a beautiful young blonde named Audrey Shepard. And she would, and I quote, have a figure that could melt the wax off a Dixie cup. <laughs> Why well, have to bring a Dixie cup into that? Like that was that was a really good compliment for a second. But you don't compare a woman to a Dixie cup or say that she can do anything. No, she di- can melt the wax well, off. Well, I, I know she's I, so hot, man. Well, I get that. I'm just saying, like it that was did. it was good up until Dixie cup part, dude. That's a huge compliment back in 1943, <laughs> baby. You could melt the wax off a Dixie cup. <laughs> 1943 hitting on a chick, okay? All right, Ian. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm defending this one. I think this one's solid. Yeah, it is slick. It is slick. I'm going to use it on my girlfriend tonight. <laughs> I'm sure she's going to be highly impressed. And she's not going to understand until she listens to this episode <laughs> either. She's like, oh, so that's what that weird shit was about. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering why you're acting weird that night. (laughs) And so, you know, Audrey was a recently divorced mother of a two-year-old, six months older than Hank, but also a musician. Oh, yeah. 
They'd hit it off, and Hank Williams would ask Audrey to marry him almost immediately, but it would take a few years. They wouldn't get hitched till 1944, and even then it wasn't officially legal. <laughs> so they, they didn't actually get married. They were just like, yeah, we're getting married. And they had like probably like a hillbilly wedding, and they go like, "That's good enough." Well, the reason why it wasn't officially legal was because a justice of the peace would marry them outside of a Texaco station in Andalusia, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Texaco station, nice, good old Texaco wedding. Before Audrey completed the sixty-day waiting period following her divorce from her first husband. Oh, so right. that's why they waited. But then she was like, I'm divorced. Let's get married tomorrow. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. But also, yeah, that's I've heard about that before. Like the waiting periods. Wedding laws are fucking stupid anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who was it that kept marrying people before he was even divorced. We just talked about him a mi- like a couple episodes last ago. week. Yeah, it was last week. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 <laughs> I knew it was close, but I didn't realize it was last week. Yeah, no, literally, like <laughs> you just can't even wait. But apparently, in around here, nope, you gotta wait. <laughs> well, he was a Christian and didn't want to bang his new wife till they were married. <laughs> And so we just married them both. Yeah. Anyways. And so, you know, he's newly married. Life is feeling good. She's motivating him being like, yeah, baby, you a great musician. You can do it. And so they traveled to Nashville together. Yeah. And in 1946, he earns a writer's contract after auditioning for A Cuff Rose. Yeah. And, you know, he'd write for them and stuff, but he'd finally be able to start recording for them with his first recording on December 1946 in a single called Calling You, and it would be released in January 1947. Oh, yeah. And this single actually did pretty well for him. It did so well, in fact, that he would end up getting a one-year recording contract with MGM Records on March 1947. Hell, yeah. His first single for MGM? What? Move it on over. Move it on over. Yep. Move over, little dog. The big old dog's moving in. At least you didn't do the short one this time. You missed your opportunity for another short joke. God. (laughs) Well, this would actually sell 108,000 copies in less than a year, which is pretty good for this time period. Yeah, that's really good for this time period. Especially like the World War One era, because a lot of those sales dipped during wartime. Yeah. Well, it was 47, so. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's even after World War II, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because of the success of the song, he'd actually get a position on the radio show. Going back to last week with Jerry Lee Lewis, the Louisiana Hayride. Hell yeah. You know, out of Shreveport, Louisiana. Yep. I mean, it'd be weird if it was out of, like, Georgia or something, I guess. But nobody else in America could tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows. But honestly, though, this was the biggest listening audience he had ever reached. Yeah. And so, finally, we make it to our first Dude Check Out This Song. Oh, yeah. And it's both those songs, Calling You and Move It On Over. Yep. Which, which are fantastic songs yeah. that you well, guys have probably already heard and you didn't realize that. You probably know them. Calling You isn't even like his best song out of his catalog, but it was like his first one he ever recorded. 
And it's interesting to hear how we evolved through the years, too. Yeah, if you really listen to him in, like, chronological order, there is such a cool progression with his music. Well, and then in 1948, he'd record Honky Tonkin' and I'm a Long Gone Daddy. And, you know, while not as successful as Moving On Over, they were really popular as well. Yeah. In fact, I'm a Long Gone Daddy made it to the top ten. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, I mean... You know, he's making fucking killer songs, right? Yeah. So you know what's the next step? What? Become a fucking hit machine! Yeah. Let's start start cranking out all of the, the best songs that, in the whole generation forever, because he's an amazing <laughs> badass. So next he would record Lovesick Blues from a 1922 musical called Ooh, Ernest. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And this song would be released on February 11th, 1949. And this would be the fucking song that made his whole career. Yeah, it'd be the Kraken song. It spent a year on the charts, including 16 weeks at the top. Woo. And with this popularity, he was invited to sing the song on the Grand Ole Opry. Oh, another throwback. The Grand Old Opera we've talked about many times. Played it with uh, six encores. Six encores? It's a record for the Grand Old Opera. Holy shit. Yeah, because Hank Williams is a fucking badass. (laughs) Also, in the spring of 1949, his firstborn child, Randall Hank Williams, is born, a.k.a. Hank Jr. Yeah, which is is another fairly proficient musician. Not my style of country for sure. Definitely, I don't. I don't really get into it either. I'm much more like a. I'm more likely to like Hank the Third than I am Hank Jr. I definitely like Hank the Third more than Hank Jr. But Hank Senior always wins. Superior to both of them. Yeah, because he is a legend. It's hard to live up to anything like that. And. Hank would also assemble the most famous version of the Drifting Cowboys with guitarist Bob McNett, bassist Hilness Burnett, fiddler Jerry Rivers, and steel guitarist Don Helms. Oh yeah. yeah, which are no names I recognize, but I would imagine they're pretty. They were like huge names back in the day. Well, and I mean, a lot of these guys didn't pick like huge, huge names. They just picked really proficient musicians and put together like, you know, what they wanted their sound to sound like. So we may not pick up the names because of name recognition, but I guarantee all of those people are as good as Hank Williams at like, you know what I mean? Right. Well, and I would imagine these guys are considered like legendary because of the fact that they were, in Hank Williams' band, you know, like yeah. an aftersight, people looking at the I music consider like, them, oh, these motherfuckers are awesome. Yeah, I consider them legendary now just because they were in his band. So, you know, the rest of it doesn't even matter. And so because of the success of Lovesick Blues, he and his band were earning $1,000 per concert, selling out shows all across the country. Holy shit, that's a lot of money for that era. <laughs> yeah, this isn't even the 50s yet. But... This wasn't his only hit in 1949. He would have seven hits, including, you know, a bunch of top five hits, like Wedding Bells, Mind Your Own Business, You're Gonna Change Your Mind, or I'm Gonna Leave, and My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. <laughs> Which, honestly, out of all of that, I think my, my Bucket's Got a Hole in It is probably my favorite. Just and that's it's such a good song. So good. Like, it's so catchy. <laughs> and it's just about him not being able to drink. Yeah. <laughs> my Bucket's Got a Hole in It. 
And I can't, I can't remember the next line, but he does say something about, hey, he can't drink beer now. Yeah. But, of course, he was still, you know, getting that reputation for being an unreliable drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and despite that, he was so popular, the Grand Ole Opry hired him as one of their regular cast members. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, especially a show like that, I bet you they could manage They him. probably didn't have a choice at that point. Like, all those country fans, you know, they all got guns. They're like, we're literally going to come down there and shoot you if you don't hire <laughs> Hank Williams. Well, I mean, really, they're, what they're, they're probably just like, hey, we know he's going to get drunk, so we'll just invite him early and not give him <laughs> much booze. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure that worked great. Yeah, totally. And so let's get to our next do check out this song. Yes, please. We got Honky Tonkin, I'm a Long Gone Daddy, Lovesick Blues, Mind Your Own Business, which is a song. Mind su- Your Own Business. Supposedly written about his wife because the whole thing is, is like, you know, his neighbor should ignore him while he's fighting with his woman. Yeah, exactly. That's so fucking hilarious. If you listen to that song, it is such a weirdly interesting song but it shows kind of a toxic relationship from a really interesting angle <laughs> yeah, like fuck you guys just because i'm yelling at my wife doesn't mean you can get in the middle of it yeah we got a license to fight if i remember, if I remember yeah, right, the state lines. gave it yeah. to us and then we got you're gonna change or i'm gonna leave yep. <laughs> which probably has one of his coolest like uh yodeling parts in it oh yeah i love his yodeling do he best yodeler because he's so subtle with it mm, but it, it's like super present but he just does it to highlight like certain words in the chorus yeah exactly it was it's properly timed it's not overused but it's still like really technically proficient yeah and that's the way with anything in music really that i feel like even when it comes to like metal drums you got the double kick yeah it, for me anything that just does the like just constant even though it's technically more proficient, it doesn't sound as good as someone who can use it sporadically through and accentuate the beats with it. Yeah, it no, just exactly. sounds cooler. Yeah, and it's that is the, really the, the thing is you it being really good at something and using it one hundred percent of the time is not really that impressive. Yeah, anymore. exactly. Because if Hank Williams all he did was yodel, we wouldn't be talking about him. <laughs> uh, at least not as pro- positively as we are. Yeah, we got that stupid fucking yodeling guy, Hank yeah. Williams. <laughs> Legendary yodeler. <laughs> he annoyed everybody, got <laughs> shot in the street when he was 16. <laughs> anyway, the last song on my dude check out this song is My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. Which is fantastic. We already talked about how great that song is. but. And so in 1950, more hits. He had the number one hits, Long Gone Lonesome Blues, why Don't You Love Me, and Moanin' the Blues, as well as some top ten hits, I Just Don't Like This Kind of Living, My Son Calls Another Man Daddy, which he really sells that he doesn't get to see his son anymore. Like that he, is pretty sad. That's another thing that he's really good at with his singing is like really making you feel like another man called his son daddy. Yeah. like you, He you really would- makes you feel... Like, oh, fuck, dude, that's fucked up. You know, like, yeah, you get you get the sentiment. And then he's got the old never take her love for me. Why should we try? And nobody's lonesome for me. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Which is another one of those songs where he sells the emotion pretty well. Yeah. He had also released a series of religious duets with his wife. 
And, you know, he would use his kind of fame to, you know, leverage a deal with Decca. These albums weren't successful. He would also do these kind of weird, like, spoken word religious things with, like, music in the background under the name Luke the Drifter. Oh, yeah. Which is some stuff I actually kind of want to look into because I kind of looked into it, but I didn't have enough time to fully look into it. It was very interesting style. Kind of reminded me of, like, a less, like, animated, like, Woody Guthrie spoken or talking blues type stuff that he did, you know? Yeah, kind of more religiously oriented and yeah. a little more soft-spoken. So I, cool. bet, I bet you there's a gem hiding in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there definitely is. I, I, I may check a little bit out. What was the name again? Luke the Drifter. Luke the Drifter. That's pretty cool. I know. That's that's a great pseudonym. And the funny thing is, is he actually named it this because it was such a different style and jukebox operators, they had standing orders to buy anything Hank Williams released. Yeah. And this isn't something, you know, he felt like, you know, could be on a jukebox. It wasn't a dancing song, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't his, his normal stuff. Yeah, so he changed his name as to not affect his kind of overall reputation. Yeah, overall reputation. That, that it makes sense. 1951, he'd have a few more hits with the uh top 10 hit Dear John and the number 1 flip side Cold Cold Heart, which are good songs. Really good songs. And actually, the pop vocalist Tony Bennett would record his own version of Cold Cold Heart. And this was actually, like, pretty significant because this was, like, the first time a country song was ever recorded by a pop artist. That's pretty cool. What year did Tony Bennett do it? It was actually the same year. Oh, okay. So there wasn't even a long passing time. No, it was, like, here's Hank Williams' song, and then probably, like, six months later, it's, like, Tony Bennett does a cover of it. Yeah, but, you know, the other half of the people who don't listen to country music are, like, Oh, this is a great song. Yeah, what a, a great Tony Bennett written yeah, song. Yeah, this is a great original that definitely wasn't taken from anyone else. And so, my next dude, check out this song, because this is his hit-making years, man. Yeah. It's got to hit rapidly. So we got Long Gone Lonesome Blues, Why Don't You Love Me, Moanin' the Blues, which has a killer line in it. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, it's such a great song. Just Those songs are so good. This whole era is just so fucking good. Oh, dude, and... I'm saving a few from this era for the end because they're his best songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we got I Just Don't Like This Kind of Living. My son calls another man daddy. Why should we try anymore? Nobody's lonesome for me. And I left Cold Cold Heart out mainly because I've seriously heard, like, 50 different bands cover that song. Yeah, it's it's a highly popular, like, coverable song. And I'm just talking live, not to mention all the different covers I've heard it and all yeah. the other genres. And I, I, It's just spread out through so many genres. It really is. Hank Williams has been covered by so many people. So if you're looking to do a cover, make sure to do Cold Cold Heart. <laughs> yeah, definitely not his best songs that, are, that we're saving towards the... Definitely not his best songs that we're saving for the end. Yeah, no. Or, 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 oh, so you're, you're pulling his best songs out of chronological order and saving them for the end? Fuck yeah, yeah. Right. I, that's the first time you've ever done that. I'm just kind of surprised. All right, let's 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 do it. Well, I've saved songs towards the end before, mm-hmm. but yeah. I saved my favorites for the end this yes, time. Yes, yes. I think I know which songs you're talking about. I believe one of them is my absolute favorite. I know one of them is your absolute yeah. favorite. So Hank Williams and Audrey, they decide that 
you know, playing music, just uh, ain't enough money. <laughs> and they start a clothing store called Hank and Audrey's Corral. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I really hope it was just mainly uh, assless chaps. <laughs> uh, it probably wasn't, but I can imagine going. It was in there. definitely like the cowboy chic stuff of the era for oh, sure. Yeah. Though it's it's all those hats that Hank Williams wears. It's just a whole like <laughs> that dude's snappy dressed. Like, he and they was... probably had a bucket with a hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I sure hope they weren't so literal. But, you know, Hank Williams was becoming a star. With stardom, more pressure. You know, he felt obligated to produce more hit songs. Probably there was some, you know, pressure from the recording company, too. Yeah. So, apparently, around this time, he would buy some songs under shady circumstances and call them their own. Oh, shit. I couldn't really get anything specific, but it kind of seemed like it was just like, you know, he bought them promising to give them uh, songwriting credits and then just put on the album written by Hank Williams. Yeah, they didn't get proper crediting or, yeah. yeah. Which is a very shitty thing to do. It is, yeah, because that's a regular practice. Like, you'll get some money for your songs and they'll be like, well, you won't get the full amount now, but we'll also give you credit or, you know, sometimes royalties or something like that. And to, to offer that and take it away is pretty fucked up. I know if they can like, holy shit, dude, our fucking song is going to be sung by Hank Williams and w- they're going to see our names on yeah, the back exactly. of the album. We're going to fucking make it, dude. I'm going to be able to carry my career on this accolade. And then Hank Williams is like, uh, this song was written by Hank Williams, performed by Hank Williams, he done prob- by Hank Williams. He probably did it while he was drunk, doesn't even remember doing the deal, woke up with some lyrics in his pocket like, oh, these are pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just too drunk to care. In general. (laughs) That's definitely possible, too. Well, speaking of his drinking, it also wore on his marriage. You know, who wants to be married? Like, there's a difference between being drunk and getting drunk occasionally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, having a few beers and having a good time while, uh, while being slightly intoxicated is one thing. Being intoxicated on a daily basis and trying to maintain a relationship at home is pretty hard. And it doesn't help that there's rumors going around that they're both cheating on each other. Oh, great. I'm sure that didn't add any tension. And so, in January 1952, they split up. Aw. Audrey files for a divorce. And, you know, I'm sure they had a liquidation sale at their uh, clothing store. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly they realized, like, hey, we can't have a clothing store. <laughs> And this seemed to really send Hank off the the deep end, man. Like, you know, he would make television appearances, and he'd even get movie offers, but he basically just drank, and that was it. And he also discovered the you, and he also discovered amphetamines and barbiturates. Oh God, such you a know, glorious combo! Yeah, great to mix with alcohol, especially yeah, the barbiturates. Yeah, definitely. Woohoo! Party on, Wayne. <laughs> uh, this is where we get to the sad part of the story, because, like, you know, Hank Williams is so fucking great and so amazing, but it really shows that all of these people are human. And, like, and extremely flawed. Yeah, and we, that's one of the things I've learned from doing this whole show, is, like, no matter how great somebody is, like, artistically or whatever, 
they're every, probably more flawed. Everybody's human. Yeah. Every single person. There's no person. such thing as a hero. Yeah. No, Heroes don't exist. Oh, my God, Ian. No, don't tear down my idols. <laughs> oh. That's what this whole show is about is tearing down your yeah, idols. Yeah, it is literally. Except for Bob Dylan. He's amazing. Everybody. <laughs> he's still an asshole, Ma- though. <laughs> yeah, he's an asshole, but we love him. Name your children after him. And with all this drug use and all that kind of stuff, drinking, woo, oh, woo. Or, uh, woo, I'm also really sad because my wife left me. Yeah, woo. The Grand old Opry finally kicked his ass out. <laughs> yeah, finally, you're, you're a little too much now, bro. And he returned to the Louisiana Hayride. Oh, yeah. And moved in with his mother in Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the Louisiana Hayride is like the generic version of the Grand Ole Opry. Like, it's it's, it's like, the sad version. It's like the PBS version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I don't get to fight in the big leagues anymore. <laughs> that is I'm a joke to... nobody younger than us will get, though. Yeah. But happy news. In October 19th, 1952... He gets married again. Yay. Yay. That's definitely a good idea. To Billie Jean Jones, the Dozer. The Dozer. <laughs> the daughter of Bossier City, Louisiana police chief. You know, great for a drunk like him, yeah, right? Yeah, that totally isn't, isn't a bad idea at all. Well, it, the wedding would take place three times. <laughs> <laughs> no, get this. It was at the New Orleans Municipal Auditorium, and an estimated 14,000 spectators would pay to see this happen. What the fuck? I so know. They, they just made their wedding. This is a- how boring life was back then. They did not have like anything on TV fun. So they just made a spectacle of their wedding so they could charge for it, so they made fuck a bunch yeah. of money. That's, actually, fuck that's yeah. actually kind of a genius move. This isn't the first time we've heard it either. No, so. it isn't either. That That is a pretty genius move, though. And so, you know, newly married, you know, hitting <laughs> the road again. Yep. What's the, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen, right? Yep. He was scheduled to perform at Municipal Auditorium in Charleston, West Virginia on Wednesday, December 31st, 1952. Advanced tickets were sold worth 3500 bucks, you know, making Jesus. that bank. Jesus. Unfortunately, there was an ice storm, and he couldn't fly in, and he decided to hire a college student named Charles Carr to drive him to the concerts. He, he hired a guy with the last name Carr to drive him. Yeah, uh, that's that was a that was a genius move. <laughs> no irony in this whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, with that ice storm coming, can't make it to Charleston, and they were told to drive to Canton, Ohio, for the New Year's Day concert there. Around midnight on Thursday, January first, nineteen fifty-three. They'd cross the Tennessee state line and arrive in Bristol, Virginia. Car would stop at a small all-night restaurant, right? Yeah. And he'd ask Williams if he wanted to eat. He said he did not. And those are believed to be his last words. Wait, he, what, he just died in the car? Car would just keep on driving until he had to stop for fuel at a gas station in Oak Hill, West Virginia, where he realized Hank Williams was dead. And apparently already had rigor mortis setting in. Holy shit. The owner of the gas station would call the 
chief of the police, right? In his Cadillac, they'd find some empty beer cans and unfinished handwritten lyrics. Holy shit, man. So he just, like, croaked. Yeah. What the fuck? Do do we have a cause of death, or...? It's basically a heart attack caused by drugs and alcohol. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Yeah. So his heart just gave out while he's sitting sitting there in the passenger seat or whatever. You know how old he was? Uh, How old? 29. Jesus, fuck. Dude, he must have lived hard because, like, if he croaked like that before. Well, remember, though, he was also doing amphetamines and barbiturates, too, so. And had a birth defect. Yep. And probably just a mixture of all that stuff. Just and yeah, exactly. And we were talking about him looking old at 20. That makes a lot of sense, too. We're also talking about pharmaceutical drugs that were definitely not safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and ill-prepared. Like, supposedly, he even had a fake pretend doctor that would write him prescriptions. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucked up. I could see that shit, though. Like, there, there's a lot of those, especially in this era where doctors were assisting with the uh, obtaining of drugs a lot. But, yeah, died on New Year's Day, 1953. God damn. New Year's Day, huh? Yeah. Jesus, that's so fucking sad. We did, <sighs> we did mention that in another episode. I just can't remember which one yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah, we did. We did actually like slightly mention it, but I, was, I wasn't even aware that it was coming this close. I mean, I knew our episode had already ran long. I was, I was actually surprised, but well, that, Jesus. That's what, you know, it's like, holy fuck, dude. How, if you would have lived to be 50, like that's like double the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or it would have been like, and he spent the rest of his life drinking. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I... God damn. And just like newly married for the second time. And like, you know, clearly the lady was into what he wanted to do because they charged for their wedding multiple times so they could get, you know, some money. Yeah, that that was like a Jerry Lee Lewis short length. Yeah. Uh, marriage yeah but, that's but he didn't kill his wife he died yeah exactly that's it's better that way it is better that way because he didn't get away with murder <laughs> twice <laughs> oh my god well and so he'd have a funeral in montgomery alabama and it would draw more than twenty thousand mourners hell yeah he would have country stars ernest tubbs roy acuff red foley carl smith and Webb Pierce singing the memorial. Hell yeah. Roy Acuff has been mentioned so many times in our yeah. podcast. And honestly, Ernest Tubbs has some fucking awesome songs. Yeah. If he had a better life story, like, you know, he robbed banks or something, you yeah, know, I'd we, totally be doing an episode We on would him. totally be talking about him. <laughs> but he's pretty boring. Nope, he's just an awesome country musician. Yep boring oh how dare you just play music and not be weird and do weird stuff that we can enjoy (laughs) how dare you be a normal human being and a successful musician how dare you you're messing (laughs) our podcast up as we complained about how all our heroes are all (laughs) fucked up earlier we have unreasonable expectations deal with it world (laughs) uh let's let's take the mood back down all right all right He'd be uh, buried at the Oakwood Cemetery Annex in Montgomery, Alabama. Did he get a headstone? Oh, a huge one. Okay, good. Just making sure. In 1961, Hank Williams, Fred Rose, and Jimmy Rogers were, you know, the first inductees into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, 
I don't know who Fred Rose is. Apparently, he's a publisher, so he probably helped out a lot of country musicians. Yeah, he's probably somebody like behind the scenes. Yeah, who really carries a lot of weight. But Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers, like, yeah, those those are two. Fan- those, you, they have to be in the first. Those are two Decot yeah. alumni, man. Come on. Yeah, they better make the Country Music Hall of Fame. I better see Hassel Atkins in here soon, too. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you guys didn't magically know what we were going to focus on years, years, years before we did it, you're in trouble. Yeah, how dare you? I shake my fist at you. <laughs> Apparently, in 2010, he won a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, that's pretty cool. And... You know, we talked about all the hits he made and stuff like that. Yeah. And he didn't have a long career. It was no. five years. Yep. Only five years? Like, I realized like his it was recording short, career was like five years. That's fucking insane. Yeah. That just shows, like, exactly how much that cuts your life short when you just do a ton of drugs and drink all the time and shit. Like, yeah. I mean, the way he lived this life was not long for this world. Yeah. But. Here's the thing. In those five years, he'd record 225 songs. Holy shit. 128 of them, he wrote himself. Hell yeah. So, I mean, that's over half. That's, yeah, that's an insane that's, amount. That's still that's, just an insane amount of songs to have written and recorded in five years. Yeah. That, if you only counted the 128. And he's probably one of the biggest, most highly influential musicians ever yeah and that's why i really like if you pick up a hank williams like live album or a hank williams like like all like you can find a collection that's like all of his singles and it's like five six discs long and like so good all of them are so fucking good well here's the thing and i'm just gonna mention a few artists probably you know some really big artists right so he would influence elvis presley you know kind of a big musician yeah. Johnny Cash, only probably the biggest star to ever come out of country. Yeah. Ernest Tubbs, who I mentioned earlier, fucking yep. amazing songs. Yeah. Chuck Berry. Another legendary musician. Jerry Lee Lewis. A legendary murderer. Yeah, we did learn last week that uh, he probably shouldn't be as praised as he is. Yep. Bob Dylan. Who? Uh, some guy. Okay. George Jones. I mean, come on. We could do a fucking episode about George Jones. That dude's a crazy country motherfucker. Yeah, no, he was. He he's pretty awesome. And the Rolling Stones, you know, and without the Rolling Stones, they wouldn't have had a bunch of people convinced that they wrote a bunch of songs they never did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just just so had like, to take that shot, huh? Every list I look at, like like. Who did the role? Like, who wrote like the greatest songs? Who influenced the most musicians? Who were influenced by some of the best musicians in the world? Oh, it's all the Rolling Stones. Yep. Fuck you. No. No. Fuck it's you, not. Rolling Stones. Your best songs are written by other people. <laughs> all right, Ian. Ah, just breathe. Just breathe. Ah. <laughs> but anyway. Last dude, check out this song before our final thoughts. Oh, yes. The, you saved the, the your the two favorite songs. Oh, the greatest songs ever written by Hank Williams. Scientifically proven, in fact. Yeah, we, we, we hired I, a think tank to make sure that we were right. 
I did a study of two people. That's <laughs> <laughs> scientific enough for me. <laughs> so we got I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive. Which is fantastic. Ultra fantastic. Also the most truest song ever. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is a very, yeah. You cannot dispute the lyrics because it is I Will Never Get Out of This World Alive because, like, essentially everyone's going to die. Yep. Another little trivia is there was an HBO show called Life and Times of Tim that was very short-lived and actually fairly funny that used this song as its intro theme. Which is funny because I watched that show. I remember watching it. Couldn't tell you what it's about. Probably came out around the time when we knew a guy named Tim. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, like, I still, I don't even remember the intro. I don't, I'm amazed you do. Yeah, no, I, it's just, it happened to have that uh, connection. I was able to find it. But hit me with the, because the next song is my absolute ultra favorite. How do so. you know it's the next song? Because you said two. You said two. Oh, my I God. I got three. Oh, my God. Okay, Ian, hit me with it then. I'm so lonesome, I could cry. Oh, shit. Yeah, you skipped yeah, over you that earlier. You can't, like, listen to Hank Williams and not, like... This might be his most iconic song. This is the song you listen to when your girlfriend breaks up with you and you just want to sit and drink and try and forget her. Yep. And you just put the song on repeat and cry. Yep. And this was not the one I thought it was when I said that it was my ultra favorite. While this is an amazing song, it doesn't quite compare to the third which I'm going to stare at Ian menacingly until he mentions. And so, easily, the greatest song ever written by (laughs) Hank Williams. And very well possibly one of the, like, I would say it's in my top ten of all time. Like, This is also scientifically proven mm -hmm. with a study of two people. Yep. Ramblin' Man. Yeah. And sure, like, the, the, the title may sound generic, guys. Like, it seems like, you know, like, the overly, just the song is. Dude, the, the fucking lap steal in the beginning, oh, yeah. dude, it's so haunting. I know. And, and then the way that, like, he pulses his voice in the most unique and haunting way while the lyrics hit all of the, all of the wits and breaths of, you know, like, what you feel in, like, your soul when you want to wander through the world. I don't know. It's it draws you out. And if you don't agree with our opinions, uh shut up. <laughs> yeah, this is scientifically proven Science, that this science, song is amazing. Yeah. We asked Carl Sagan. <laughs> last thoughts, man. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, I guess I'll go first cuz what other last thoughts can you have on such a fantastic man than holy goddamn shit like If you wouldn't have just, or if, you know, I guess you really didn't have a choice. Uh, A lot of, like, uh, a lot of Hank Williams' shortcomings come from, like, things implied by his, you know, birth defect and his, uh, like, his his short Well, it was definitely in, like, everything I looked at that his drinking and drug use was definitely caused by his back problems like yeah exactly. he was just trying to kill the pain essentially is yeah. what they're saying so he was chronically impeded by his like birth defect which is sad that he had to kind of chase a pain uh like a pain relief that he could never really obtain because he was really fucked up if only weed was legal right yeah well i mean i don't even know if that was wouldn't have been strong enough i think he was really like physically he could have started psychedelic country holy shit (laughs) he was probably really in some serious pain and the fact that he was able to continue for five years and create some of the greatest music of all time only shows how much of a badass he truly was 
So my last thoughts on Hank Sr. are, hell yeah, motherfucker, you kick ass. Thank you. Live fast, die young. Yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> he I mean, was the original rock and roller before there was even rock and roll. Yeah, we've said that before about multiple people, but yeah. That's true. That is true. But, like, he really, like, truly. He did embody it. Yeah. It was like, I mean, you got the 27 Club. Well, you know, he died at 29. You know what? Had to get a couple more songs out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, honestly, my last thoughts are, like, holy shit. If you want to learn how to put emotion into your song, listen to some of Hank Williams shit because he knows how to throw emotion. He's not even, like, the greatest singer. He just has, like, the best phrasing. Like, some of the best lyrical phrasing I've ever heard, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, not only does he turn the tongue, he also, like, mixes that perfectly with, like, vocal melodies and stuff. So, But he doesn't, like, have a huge range or anything, but you feel his emotion and you know what if you want to learn how to fucking sing like true emotion just study some hank williams yeah because there is some hard emotions in that hell yeah and if you really want to inspire some hard emotions in us uh you should give us like some stars on some social media stuff and tell your friends how much you like our show and check out our spotify that's some really hard emotions right there yeah exactly listen to the playlist you know just just Enjoy what we have brought you and uh, know for sure in the depths of your heart that we love you. Have a good night.